you have your Bible, let me encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. If you go out to the internet and you look for books designed to help you find and grow in happiness, it won't take you long to come up with a list of titles. I know from experience because here are a few titles. One, The Happiness Project, or the subtitle, Why Spend a Year Trying to Sing in the Morning, Clean My Closets, Fight Right, Read Aristotle, and Generally Have More Fun. The Happiness Advantage, How a Positive Brain Fuels Success in Work and Life. Or, how about How and How Not to Be Happy. There's also the psychological advantage of happiness, how to use the positive brain fuel to realize and achieve your potential for what lasting, for lasting fulfillment in work and life. The happiness recipe, a powerful guide to living for what matters. The happiness toolbox, 56 practices to find happiness, purpose, and productivity in love, work, and life. The blue zones of happiness, lessons from the world's happiest people. Happier hour. How to beat distraction, expand your time, and focus on what matters most. Happier being, your path to optimizing habits, health, and happiness. A lovely life, savoring simple joys in every season. And this is just 10 of the titles that I came across. I'm sure there are many, many others. Now, I can't speak to the content of any of these titles because I've not read any of them. But there are plenty of people around who will offer suggestions on how you can become happier. There are plenty of people who believe that they have the recipe for how you can become a happier person for only $14.99. Did you notice the last title? You probably did. It didn't have the word happy or happiness in it. Instead, it used the word joy, a lovely life, savoring simple joys in every season. And for some of you, your trigger went off. You said, wait a second. Wait a second. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Well, yes and no. I say yes because we do recognize that there is a superficial experience of enjoyment, delight that is temporary, that is fleeting. And we often use the word, particularly in church circles, we often use the word happy to refer to this temporary or superficial experience. And that's in contrast with a deeper, abiding experience of joy, what we use the word joy for. However, the Bible does not distinguish at the language of vocabulary between happiness and joy. Because these, are, these experiences are related. Sometimes our enjoyment of things is fleeting. It is temporary. It is here today, and tomorrow doesn't even have to come before it's gone. 
But then there is also the experience of a deep, abiding, sustained joy, delight, satisfaction. And that is to be, friends, the experience of the Christian life. Christ has come to give us joy. Christ has come so that we might know not some sort of temporary, fleeting, momentary joy, but an abundant, an eternal joy, delight, even happiness in the Lord. And I have entitled the entire series through the book of Philippians, Gospel Joy. Because what Paul, I believe, as you read through the letter, one of the chief things that he is striving to foster in the recipients of the letter, to encourage and foster in the recipients, is gospel joy. And Lord willing, today we bring our study of the book of Philippians to a close. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to reflect once more on this reality of gospel joy that Christ has come to give us and the script and that the scriptures strive to foster within us. Follow along as I read Philippians 4:21 through 23. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, we've just read three verses, but these three verses won't be the only focus of our time. In fact, really, we're going to be looking at the entirety of the book of Philippians as we bring this study to a close. So you will be served by having a copy of the Scriptures in front of you and opening up to the book of Philippians. There are three things as we consider gospel joy once more this morning. There are three things that I want us to observe. First is just what is gospel joy? I want us to define one more time what gospel joy is. We want to look at characteristics of gospel joy as we find those characteristics sprinkled across the pages of this letter to the church at Philippi, and then lastly, cultivating gospel joy. Well, firstly then, what is gospel joy? What is gospel joy? Well, before we're going to answer that question and define gospel joy, we need to be clear on what the gospel is. Lots of people use the word gospel to mean a variety of different things. And so I want there to be no confusion this morning about what I mean and what we as a church believe about what the gospel is. I didn't bring it up here with me, but sprinkled around the tables out in the halls of the church, you'll find a little tract entitled, The Two Ways to Live. And this is a helpful summary, presentation of the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. In that booklet, you will find explained 
the reality that God has created everything that existed. And He created all of it good. And because of His creation of everything and His sustaining of everything, the creation is accountable to Him as its creator and sustainer. And that includes me and you. We are accountable to Him. And God, in His goodness and His wisdom, created us to live under His authority. But, in our first parents, Adam and Eve, we rebelled against God's good rule over us. And we continue to participate in that rebellion to this day. And this is what the Bible calls sin. Our rebellion against God's good, wise, and loving rule over us. And the Bible tells us that God cannot ignore such rebellion against Him and remain holy and good. And so, in His goodness, in His holiness, He responds to sin. And the Bible says that the wages of our sin, the cost of our sin, is death, eternal punishment. And this is God's righteous response, His right response, His good response to the fact that we have gone our own way. But friends, the gospel is good news. And up to this point, we've gotten to the bad news. That our sin deserves punishment. Where is the good news? The good news is that God's response to our sin is not only punishment. God's response to our sin is the sending of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in full perfect obedience under the Father's rule as we were charged to do, but did not do and do not do. But instead, Jesus lived the perfect life. And in His obedience, the writer of Hebrews tells us, He was prepared to be a perfect sacrifice for our sin. He had no sin to atone for in His death, meaning He could die for our sin. But because He was not only and is not only fully God or fully man, but also fully God, He could die not just for the sin of one other person, but he could die for the sin of untold, an untold number of other people. So that Christ's death is the sufficient necessary payment for our sin. But the story doesn't end there. Because not only did Christ die, but he was raised to new life. Raised to new life to be king over all things. So that there really are only two ways to live. There is the way to live that we are born into. And that is the way of ourselves, the way of sin, the way of rebellion against God. Or God's new way 
trusting in the work of Jesus to be the payment for our sin, receiving the forgiveness of God in Christ, and committing ourselves to live a new way under Christ's authority. This is the gospel. You'll see this summarized on the backside of your bulletin this morning. And the question that comes to each and every one of us is, which way am I living? Which way are you living? Which way are you going to live? Are you trusting Christ and seeking to follow Him? Or are you here this morning and you have to say, Pastor Greg, I'm living my own way. I'm not trusting Christ. Friend, this is the way that leads to death. This is the way that leads to destruction. The plea to you this morning is to trust Christ and live. To follow Christ with your life. This is the Gospel. And we see the Gospel alluded to in the passage that we read just a moment ago. Notice in Philippians 4.23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The word gospel isn't in there, but there is an important word related to the gospel that is actually more than one word. One of them is grace. Because The good news of the gospel is that God has given in Christ what we could never provide for ourselves. Forgiveness and life through faith in Christ. And there's the second part in Philippians 4.23. This grace comes to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, the one who rules over all things. Jesus, the Savior, Christ, the promised one, the Messiah. He is the one in whom we know the grace of God. And this gospel leads to joy. This good news leads to joy. The joy of knowing that our sins are forgiven. The joy of new life in Christ. The joy of knowing that God no longer holds our sin over us, but we know a right relationship. As Romans 5.1 says, we have peace with God because of Christ. And this brings joy. So that when we talk about gospel joy, there are two ways to look at gospel joy. One is gospel joy is fruit. Gospel joy is fruit. What I mean is, when we come to faith in Christ and as we walk with Christ by faith, gospel joy shows up as joy in the saving work of Christ. A joy, a happiness, a delight in what Christ has done for us. It is fruit that results from trusting in Christ. Notice in Philippians 3.1, Finally, my brothers, 
rejoice in the Lord. Notice verse 25 of chapter 1. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Gospel joy is joy in the work of Christ on our behalf, and it is joy that results from knowing Christ by faith. So that if you are here this morning and you do not know Christ, this gospel joy can be yours if you will turn from your sin and trust in the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But gospel joy is not only fruit, joy that shows up as we delight in what Christ has done for us, but gospel joy is also fuel. It is fuel for living the Christian life. Gospel joy fuels faithfulness in a fallen world. And in one way, we can see the entirety of the book of Philippians as intending to help that church feed on the work of Christ, experience gospel joy, so that as they enjoy delight in Christ, they are fueled to live faithfully in a fallen world. Gospel joy is fruit. It results from trusting Christ. And it is fuel. It enables us to live faithfully in a fallen world. Corn. Corn is fruit. Bear with me. And fuel. Okay, I know that corn is not in the category of fruit. Okay, it's a grain. But it's fruit in that if you look at a corn stalk, the corn stalk has produced its fruit, the corn. But corn is not only the fruit, if you will, of that corn stalk, but it's also fuel, right? It's fuel for us as we eat it. But in the day and age in which we live, it can also be used as fuel for many of your vehicles, right? Ethanol. Ethanol is a renewable fuel made from corn and other plant materials. And perhaps you've gone to the pump and you see statements about percentage of ethanol in the fuel or a rating on the ethanol. Did you know that more than 98% of gasoline in the United States contains some sort of ethanol? There are different blends of ethanol. The most common blend is E10, that is 10% ethanol, 90% gasoline. There's also E85, you'll see, those at the ga- you'll see that at the gas pump, or of course what's known as flex fuel. This contains 51 to 83% of ethanol, depending on geography and season. There's also E15, gasoline blended with 10 to 15% of ethanol. So each time you put gas in your car, you are putting probably a little bit of corn in there too to fuel your drive. Corn is both fruit and fuel. Gospel joy is both fruit and fuel for the Christian life. 
But friends, we have to be careful. We have to be careful because there are different blends of ethanol. But friends, there is no different blending of the gospel. There is no diluting of the gospel that will keep the gospel, the gospel, and provide fuel and fruit for the Christian life. Paul writes in Galatians 1, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And friends, it is only the biblical gospel that will provide true joy and will produce true fruit and fuel for the Christian life. So from the book of Philippians, what does gospel joy then look like? What is the fruit of gospel joy? How does it fuel our Christian walk? Well, first, gospel joy clings to the gospel of Christ. Gospel joy clings to the gospel of Christ. Notice in Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. Holding fast, here Paul is encouraging the Philippians in their walk, and he encourages them to hold fast to the word of life. That is, they are to cling to like a hawk on its prey they are to cling to the gospel the word the message that brings life with all their might and gospel joy shows up as clinging to the gospel of christ that means Gospel joy opposes teaching that is contrary to the gospel. As we go along, sometimes I'm going to read from Philippians. Other times I'm just going to give you a passage. You can go and look, it up, look at it on your own for the sake of time. But gospel joy opposes teaching contrary to the gospel. We see this in Philippians 3, 2 through 4. Gospel joy resists the gospel of self. So in clinging to the gospel of Christ, gospel joy opposes teaching contrary to the gospel and resists the gospel of self. Chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But not only does gospel joy cling to the gospel of Christ, gospel joy exalts Christ Himself. Notice, Chapter 1, verse 20. As Paul is writing about his experience in that Roman jail under house arrest, he writes, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Paul does not, is not concerned with whether the situation that he is in leads to ongoing life or results in death because fueled by gospel joy, he exalts in the fact that Christ will be honored. 
Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted Him, that is Christ, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here Paul is looking forward to the future exaltation of Christ, and he does so with joy celebrating the humility of Christ that will lead to the exaltation of Christ in eternity. Gospel joy clings to the gospel of Christ. Gospel joy exalts Christ himself. Gospel joy strives to know Christ and enjoy Christ. Gospel joy strives to know and enjoy Christ. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's gospel joy strives to know Christ and enjoy Christ. Gospel joy in the life of the believer yields the fruit of righteousness. Turn over to chapter 1. As Paul describes how he prays for the Philippians, Notice beginning in verse 9, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is what Paul prays for, for this congregation, that their lives would be filled with the fruit of righteousness in anticipation of eternity. And what does this fruit of righteousness, what does holy, righteous living look like? Well, in this letter, just a couple of characteristics. The fruit of righteousness looks this way in life. Putting away grumbling and disputing. Chapter 2, verse 14. Striving for Christ-like living, especially humility. Remember, we've already read part of that beautiful hymn in the middle of chapter 2, but notice beginning in verse 5 of chapter 2, have this mind among yourselves. This is how they are to think. This is to be their perspective. And it's the perspective that we have in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, on the cross. And in the life of the Christ follower, gospel joy shows up in the fruit of righteousness. And one way that shows up is a life of humility. A life of looking out for the interests of others. A life striving to resist and put away self-interest and look to the good and the interests of others. Gospel joy will fuel and result in this kind of fruit. Gospel joy yields the fruit of righteousness in that it responds to the internal work of God. The one who is at work both to will and to work for His good pleasure in us. Chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. The fruit of righteousness stemming from gospel joy shows up in persevering in the face of opposition and suffering. Paul's life demonstrates this as he writes under house arrest. He calls the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 27, to this kind of life. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation." Gospel joy will fuel this congregation's perseverance in the face of the opposition that they are facing. The fruit of righteousness that flows from gospel joy learns from godly examples. Chapter 3, verse 17. But gospel joy also prioritizes the good and growth of others. Gospel joy, delight in the work of Christ, prioritizes the good and growth of others. Paul does this as he writes to the Philippians, as he talks about the fact that he anticipates that he will continue on in this life, that his current trial will not end in his death, but he will continue on for their joy and progress in the faith. Chapter 1, verses 24 through 26. We see this in the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus there towards the end of chapter 2 as they are concerned for the Philippian congregation. Paul tells the Philippians that he's going to send Timothy to them at the right time because he has no one else who will be concerned for their welfare. How is it that Timothy can be so concerned for the welfare of others? It's because as Paul describes him there, in chapter 2, he is Paul's partner in the gospel. It is because of Timothy's gospel joy that he is also concerned for this church and other churches like it. Gospel joy, prioritizing the good and growth of others, 
is why Paul writes at the beginning of chapter 2, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Delight in the work of Christ frees us to want others to grow in the faith. To not be concerned with only what's in it for me. What can I get out of this congregation of believers? But how can I serve? How can I look to encourage the growth of others? How can I look out for the interests of others? Gospel joy clings to the gospel of Christ, exalts Christ, strives to know Christ and enjoy Him. Gospel joy yields the fruit of righteousness. Gospel joy prioritizes the good and growth of others. Gospel joy delights in gospel advance. Perhaps we see this most clearly there in the middle of chapter 1. Remember that astonishing statement that Paul makes? Beginning in verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. But rather than bemoaning those who are opposing him and singing a tune of woe is me, what does Paul write? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Delight in the work of Christ, ongoing fuel from the work of Christ as we feed on what Christ has done will enable us to delight in gospel advance, even when it requires self-sacrifice. Gospel joy results in gospel partnerships. This is what we talked about last week. Paul writes this letter because of his long-standing appreciation and partnership with this church. You see it in chapter 1. You see it in chapter 4. Gospel joy drives partnering with others for gospel advance. Gospel joy trusts the Lord in the present. Gospel joy trusts the Lord in the present. We hear this in that appeal that we spent so many weeks on. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This 
kind of resisting of worry and anxiety can only be known, friends, as we feed on and delight in what God has done for us in Christ. Because we remember what He has done in the past for us in Christ. And we can say with Romans 5, if, if God gave His Son in love while we were enemies, what about now that we are made right with Him? There, in Romans 5, Paul is looking forward to the future salvation that is to come and the confidence that we can have for future salvation. But it also applies now, doesn't it, Romans 8? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that now, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Gospel joy Trust the Lord in the present. We hear this also in that famous statement by Paul in Philippians 4. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And what has he said just before that? I know what it is to be content. I know what it is in seasons of plenty, in seasons of hunger, in abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Because Paul is fueled by gospel joy that is trusting the Lord in the present. But lastly, in terms of characteristics of gospel joy, gospel joy also anticipates the future with hope. One of the striking characteristics of this short letter is how many times Paul in one way or another anticipates, looks forward, points the reader's attention to God's future work in Christ when Christ returns, that future exaltation of Christ, the future of God's completing the work that He has begun in Christ. And gospel joy anticipates the future with hope, not with wishful thinking. That's not biblical hope but with confident anticipation and expectation. Gospel joy anticipates the future with hope. The hope of being with Jesus. Roman, or excuse me, Philippians 1.21 For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul anticipates his future of being with Jesus. Gospel joy anticipates the future completion of God's work in the believer. Gospel joy anticipates the future return of Jesus. Gospel joy anticipates with hope in the future resurrection that is to come. Gospel joy anticipates that future exaltation of Jesus that we just read about. Throughout this letter, Paul writes with this idea of gospel joy rumbling in the background. And sometimes it springs to the surface. And other, other ways we see these characteristics. But friends, one of the ongoing benefits of this letter for us 
is that it would fuel our gospel joy and that that gospel joy would show up in these various fruits. But lastly, lastly, do you notice this gospel joy? It's exemplified in Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. We've touched on some of these ways. Paul commends the Philippians in their partnership and in their striving after faithfulness for their gospel joy. But Paul writes also to cultivate more gospel joy, increased gospel joy in their life. And there is good news here for all of us this morning in this way. Friends, it's not up to us to try and produce this gospel joy. It's not up to us to try and make this happen. But instead, God invites us to use the gifts that He has given to us to cultivate, to further grow in this gospel joy. This letter is an evidence of that. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul writes to cultivate this joy so that one way we can cultivate gospel joy in this life is by reading and meditating on the Scriptures that are intended to foster this kind of delight in what God has done for us in Christ. We are to read the Gospel in the Scriptures. There are other books that, are, that have been written that will help you read the Gospel and further cultivate Gospel joy. And if you're curious about what some of those might be, you can, you can stop me after the service. I actually have a couple with me down here at the front, or you can email me this week, and I, I'd be happy to tell you what those books are that would help you read the Gospel. Meditate, think about deeply what God has done for us in Christ. Pray the gospel in your prayers back to God. Praise Him for His work in Christ on your behalf. Pray the gospel back to God. Sing the gospel. All of the songs that we sang this morning have gospel truth woven into them. Many of the songs that we sing week after week after week are chosen because they point us to the work of God in Christ. Get those. When we are together, sing. Nobody cares if you can't carry a tune in a bucket. Okay, God gave you the voice that He did for the reason that He gave it to you. And sometimes we might question His wisdom in giving you or me the voice that He did, but in His wisdom, He gave us the voices that He did. And so when we are together, let's use them to sing the gospel and sing His praises. But sing the gospel in private, on your own. Use these rich gospel hymns to sing your praises to the Lord. Read the Gospel. Meditate on the Gospel. Pray the Gospel. Sing the Gospel. Speak the Gospel. Speak the Gospel to one another. Let us encourage one another 
as we walk through this life in a fallen world, let us point one another again and again and again to God's work in Christ. The letter to the Philippians was not written to a gathering of pagans. It was written to a gathering of believers in Christ. The most detailed exposition of the Gospel in all of Scripture, the book of Romans, was not written to a gathering of heathens. It was written to a congregation of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ because we need to hear the Gospel again. And we need to point and encourage one another when we are struggling to the work of God on our behalf in Christ. We need to speak the Gospel to those who do not know Christ. We need to be evangelistic in our lives in this world. Pointing those who have no hope to the only One who can provide hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. But lastly, friends, if we are going to cultivate the Gospel in our lives and be fed by the Gospel, we have to remember the Gospel. We have to remember the Gospel. When we're confronted with our own sin, we should repent of that sin, confess and repent of that sin, and remember, as you've heard me say before, Christ died for that sin too. Christ didn't just die for our sin generally. But every time, believer in Christ, you are confronted with your own sin on the authority of God's Word, remember, Christ died for that sin too. And there is great joy in remembering the work of God in Christ for your specific sin. But you also need to remember the work of God in Christ when life is hard and when life hurts. Because the difficulties of this life will preach to you a false gospel. That God doesn't care. That God is unconcerned. That God has given up on you. That God is mad at you. Or some other false word. But friends, the Gospel of Christ shouts to us the abiding promise of His love that nothing can separate us from in this life. How is gospel joy showing up in your life? Where are there ways in your life that you need to cultivate gospel joy? What's one step that you can take this week to grow in the gospel joy that Christ has come to give us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before You once more this morning, Father, we thank You for the gift of the work of Christ. Father, we thank You for the reminder throughout this letter and throughout the Scriptures 
of what you in your great love and mercy have done for us in Christ. Help us, Father, to grow in gospel joy. Father, help us to encourage one another where we see these evidences of gospel joy showing up in one another's lives. Help us to encourage and point to that fruit that we see and so encourage one another in persevering in faithfulness. Father, when our souls are heavy and troubled, Father, help us to feed on the promise of what you in your love have done in Christ. Father, thank you that your word tells us that you did not rescue us because you saw us worthy of rescuing, because you saw something in us that deserved the attention of your love. But Father, because of your love, because of your goodness, you sent your one and only Son, to rescue us from our sin. Father, help us to feed on the work of Christ in our daily lives. Father, I pray that the work of Christ and joy in Christ would fuel our faithfulness individually and as a congregation. Help us, Father, to anticipate with joy and in hope the future exaltation of Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.